Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. What's popping? What's going on today? I'm Kayla. <laughs> I'm Kristen, your co-host. And welcome back to another episode of Black True Crime. We're really excited for this episode for different reasons, actually. Mm-hmm. Kristen's excited for her Don't own. tell them. I want to tell them. I'm not going to tell them. Okay. I'm excited. I actually don't know why I'm excited. Probably because, yeah. I have no idea why I'm excited. I just love to record for you guys and to get shit out to you guys. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I found amazing info about a history fact um, in the world about melanated folks. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't really know what people not in America that are black consider themselves. We don't know if they consider themselves black or African or german black, black german or you know whatever the case yeah. may be we have no idea so so that's gonna be a question that i ask all of our international folks that live in other areas of the world that are melanated what do you consider mm-hmm. yourself like we call ourselves black what do you call mm-hmm. yourself yeah let me let know. Us know okay let's get started so a few little warnings before this episode it is very abuse heavy i will say i'm not gonna try i'm gonna try not to include too many disturbing details especially when it comes to the killings and the abuse but they may be in there so just prepare yourselves and you also will probably be probably be infuriated by the end so Mm, we'll see love these don't you love them i hate them kayla (laughs) i hate them i love them i hate them okay let's get started so I have a question for you guys. What would you do if you were raised in a toxic, abusive, and sadistic environment where you experienced more trauma as a child than most people do in their entire lives? Would you try to heal and move on? Or would you let the pain destroy you from the inside out, hmm. turning you into a venomous, vicious, vulturous killer that enjoys the pain of others? Join us as we discuss... John Lewis and his sister Robin Machuka. Well, dang! When you put a question like that, I was about to say I have to give you guys something to think about before you walk into this hot ass mess we call episode thirty three. What? It's episode thirty three. Like, why do I feel like we've literally recorded a thousand episodes and we're only on thirty (laughs) three? And you joined at like episode like. 12. 20. Probably 20, honestly. (laughs) So John Irving Lewis II and Robin Monique Machuca were born sometime in 1965 and sometime in 1970. So Robin's the oldest. She has, well, the older out of the two, and she's five years older than John. So Kristen, what can you tell us that happened in Black world history in 1970 and 1965? 
So I'm going to focus today on world history. Hi, guys. It's me. But I wanted to say in 1965, just a little note of this is what was going on. That was during the march in Selma, Alabama, where um, Martin Luther King led 2,000 other protesters through the streets of Selma, Alabama with federal troops guarding them and the army people Mm -hmm. like that literally guarding them as they walked because the last time they tried to march in those very same streets they experienced brutal attacks from selma state troopers so those are the people that are supposed to protect them Mm -hmm. they were whipping them using um fire hydrants and water hoses attached to them to spray the crap off of them spray the literal skin off of them and using dogs to attack them so that was going on in 1965 in America. Mm-hmm. In 1970, in the world, um, the first Sudanese civil war was taking place in Sudan. So mm-hmm. this was a 12-year conflict. It actually started in 1955 and ended in 1972. Mm-hmm. It was between the north and southern regions of Sudan. Now, the central government of Sudan was backing... Well, the central government of Sudan represented the northern part of Sudan. The people who were backing the northern part of Sudan were countries like Great Britain, Mm. Egypt, and the Soviet Union. Interesting. Their adversary, southern Sudan, was led by the Southern Sudan Liberation Movement. Countries that were backing this movement were countries like Ethiopia, Uganda, and Israel. Okay. So basically what happened was it started out because the UK and Egypt basically anticipated Sudan's liberation or independence from Great Britain to happen in 1956. Okay. And it did happen in 1956, a year after the war started. Okay. So around this time, Southern soldiers were actually sent to basically stop this um, movement or mm-hmm. this protest in Tort, which is happening in Southern Sudan at the time. Okay. So Southern troopers were sent in to kind of disperse this movement. Well, the central government that represents the Northern Sudan, they felt like, okay, these Southern troops, like they're sympathizing with these protesters. So we're Mm going to replace them with Northern troops. Southern soldiers were not banging with that at all. So they actually went on a killing spree and mutinized and killed, I believe it was 336 Northern soldiers and civilians. Oh, my God. At the time. So that's what happened. And once wind of that got around all of Sudan, southern soldiers across Sudan revolted. So basically, like, they were feeling some type of way for a while now. And this kind of, like, led to the basically the start of the civil war in Sudan. Another influence for this war was two-thirds of Sudan, which was the northern region, was actually Muslim. And they modeled themselves after Saudi Arabia and, and Arabic countries. Okay. Whereas the Southern Sudan was composed of Christians and other indigenous religions. Okay. So South Sudan, also a part of their like crusade of, I guess, retribution in their eyes, but mm-hmm. also very violent mm-hmm. things. They launched a guerrilla war. Because they didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't have troops and things like Northern Sudan did. So they launched a guerrilla war instead. And this was the, actually the first insurgency or uprising that enlisted child soldiers. Oh, no. Right. Very tough. Oh, no. So this went on for 12 years, you guys. And in 1972, at the end, South Sudan and the central government signed the Addis Ababa Agreement, which basically ended this civil war. Okay. For 11 years, they were able to have peace. 
But then the second civil war came in 1983. And that was supposed, that was said to be the bloodiest war, civil war of them all in Sudan. Oh my word. Yeah. So I didn't get too in detail on why this was happening, but basically it was over religion and freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Good Lord. That was horrible. I don't want you to do any more of these. <laughs> people need to know i needed to know that i had no idea that was awful well thank you so much for that bit of information so john and robin were half brother and half sister they had the same mother and they were born and raised in south central la say hey la hey la their mother was a violent alcoholic and drug abuser and child abuser. She was merciless when it came to her children, and so were the men she'd have them around. I read that Robin was sexually abused by her father since the age of eight, and at just 13 years old, she gave birth to her father's child. Stop. I cannot. That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Traumatic and horrible. And what was her mother doing to help her during this time? Absolutely fucking nothing. If anything, she was making it worse because she just responded with more physical abuse. John's father, on the other hand, was murdered in South Central when John was still like a kid. Their mother moved on and found a new man named Donald Dreary, and he was sadistically inhumane toward John and his other sisters. But the shared trauma only made John Robbins stronger they had no love in their lives except for the love that they had for each other wow so sad and they did have other siblings um i just think they maybe were closer in age and just gravitated toward each other Mm -hmm. although five years is not close but well when you're younger it right may not hmm, if you don't really have any friends you may just who gives a shit how old your little brother is John started getting in trouble extremely early in life. I'm talking like eight or nine years old. He was stealing purses, vandalizing, trespassing, just anything a nine-year-old could actually do it (laughs) that time. At 12 years old, Robin moved out because she just couldn't take the abuse anymore. At 12? At fucking 12 years old, she just like left. And she had- she go? Good question. She had no way of making money or really anywhere to really go, so she started selling drugs. She would use her body to get drugs and money and then just, you know, use that to get more money for herself. By 15 years old, she was robbing houses and apparently she was incredibly good at it until she obviously got caught because, you know, everyone eventually gets caught and she was arrested for it. So she was put in juvie for what she did. While locked up, she really started to self-reflect and realized that her life was going in the complete wrong direction and she just had to do something to change it. Okay. And she really, really tried to change it. So once she was released, wait, we'll get there. So after Robin left the home, John was still there and he was essentially a basket case after it. He was like inconsolable losing his everything at that time and just kind of went on like a rampage. He started getting more involved in drugs. Apparently, he said he started smoking marijuana laced with PCP. Holy shit. Which then involved him into more actual crimes, like burglaries and stuff like that. And he would serve his first stint in juvie at just 12 years old. 
His mother lost custody of him. So after being released from juvie, John would either go live with his older sister, Carmen, his sister, Bridget, or his older brother named Daryl. So he did have family members in his life that seemed to be doing better, mm-hmm. regard, you know, despite the situation that they were in. And he was able to lean on them when he needed them. So that's good. Or at least had their own place. Yeah, at least had a roof over their head that they could take their brother in. If, right. You know, necessary. In 1983, when John was 13 years old, his mother died of a drug overdose. Oh, wow. People around him at the time described John as being a happy kid on the outside, but a very sad kid on the inside. And said that he just really missed his parents and wanted someone to love him. Yeah. That's all kids really want is love. That's all kids need. I mean, let let me change that because kids need discipline for sure. And food and water. Those necessary things. (laughs) And shelter and clothes and shoes. But, you know, they definitely need love just to even have a resemblance of love for themselves as they grow up, you know? Right. So definitely, definitely important. And he didn't get really any. In 1984, when Robin was released from jail, she completely changed her life. She moved to a better part of town. She got a job at a mortgage company. Okay. You know, some people in mortgage got her own place and was just living, you know, her life, which I was really happy for her. I was like, yes, girl, like defy the odds. Yeah. Like, I'm here for it. It just shows she just needed stability and discipline to be an okay citizen. Some people really just need to be shown that life doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. In 1991, at 21 years old, John got out of juvie and went directly to live with his sister, Robin. At the time, Robin was living with her boyfriend named Vince Hubbard. And when her brother showed up, surprisingly, Vince and John hit it off right away. Well, it's not really surprising because Vince was a criminal too. He had been, (laughs) he was actually on probation at the time for a drug conviction. And he also had been to jail for like, I think it was a burglary charge or something like a theft charge or something. So he's not innocent. So how long was our boy John in juvie? Good question. So the last time that he was in juvie, actually, I'll get to that. But he was in juvie a couple times. He went back and forth. Vince also had a very low IQ. Like, I guess he was technically slow. His IQ was only 80. So that's like literally only 10 points above, I think, mentally slow. We'll say that. I can't say the R word. I can't even pay myself to. It's so horrible. John then brought his girlfriend... Eileen Huber to live with him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot about Eileen, but I do know that she was obsessed with John and like basically would do anything he asked her to do. I also, John, where did you get Eileen? Where yeah, did she I was coming like, from? He, how long have you been out of jail to even <laughs> meet this bitch? <laughs> what? But apparently he was like really good with the women. He was, mm. and if you see the pictures of him, he's not an ugly guy. Like if no. he was cleaned up, Nice haircut, you know, some good clothes. I'm pretty sure he could have got me, Ooh. you know, in 03. <laughs> well, 03, I was eight. But you I know what I mean? Say, you know like, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, he's cute. Let's yeah. just keep it there. He cute. Yeah, yeah. What he up? cute. He light skin. Oh, gross. Okay. Not saying that all light skins <laughs> are cute or that dark skins are not cute because I prefer a chocolate fellow. But he's cute. As do I. Okay, 
So yeah, he he had a charm about him, and Eileen was definitely drinking his Kool Aid. But when she was a child, she had a fairly normal childhood, apparently until the age of eleven, when her mother abandoned the family. Um, apparently that was very traumatic for her, which I completely understand. And she started drinking heavily, doing drugs, and chasing dependent relationships with trash men. Mm. We've all been there, and if you haven't yet. Good on you. <laughs> More power to you. More sis. power to you. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Before Robin knew it, all three of those full-grown adults were living in her house, rent-free. Ah, oh, yeah, they weren't working. They were just partying and doing drugs all day. Oh no. Mm-hmm. And she was not happy about that because she tried so hard to change her life and get away from their bullshit, and now they bring it into her house. Mm-hmm. Specifically, her house. Yeah, which Grown I feel like not. Which I feel rent. like, which I feel like Vince was already probably doing. Like he was probably already doing drugs and selling drugs and stuff like that. But maybe it wasn't to the extent that it was when John came home. And it sucks because it's like who you associate with is what you're going to become. Oh, for sure. So you're literally, even though she's clean and she's on the right narrow pa- path, yeah. she has someone close to her who is not. Who so. is. The worst of the worst. Yeah. Not too long after John moved in, the house was robbed. Uh-oh. With basically everything that Robin owned being stolen. Yeah. And this really tore Robin up. Like, she worked so hard to build herself up, get her little place, afford the little furniture that she did have, you know, and now it just showed her that no matter how hard she worked, she would always be a victim of violence in her own home. Which is like, when you put it that way, good Lord, I'd probably lose it for a second, too. That was really sad. Like, to feel like you're always going to be a victim of violence in your own home, regardless of who's there. Like, that that kind of hit home. Especially when you're trying so hard to be different. Yes. Like, yes. But unfortunately, Robin just didn't have her eyes as open as I'd hoped she did. Because she could have seen, okay, my brother is clearly probably the fucking issue. And it's like, my brother and this man that I'm with are yeah. not kosher no they they're not both, trying as hard as i am to be better so therefore i should distance myself they both have sold drugs you know both of them have gone to prison for it so what am i actually doing i just think she put herself in a situation that she shouldn't have been in and if she knew anything about her brother from the time that he'd been in prison i feel like she if she talked to him at all she could see that he hadn't changed so mm-hmm. i don't know love can and overpower I know like- logic Right. And you love who you love. Like, that's mm-hmm. her family. Like, that was someone she probably felt guilty for abandoning when she left at 12. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So from that moment on, from the day that the robbery happened, Robin reverted back to her old ways. She quit her job completely, started using drugs and alcohol again and just getting into trouble. The apartment turned into just a straight up party place and started attracting police attention. Mm. Police had multiple interactions with all four of the housemates over like noise complaints, you know, domestic disturbances, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, Robin quit her job, so she isn't working. No one's bringing in money because none of them fucking work. So John decides to go start robbing people. The other three were happy that John was bringing home money. And even though he was getting it by violent means, it was okay with them because Mm. they know that they needed to get money and they needed to do it in a way that they wouldn't get caught so john wasn't getting caught they were happy with it 
So just to give you an idea of exactly how horrible John's crimes were when he was just a teenager, in January 1987, when he was 16 or 17, he tried to rape a 16-year-old girl named Marlene. Yeah. In November 1989, John and several other men and women were involved in five armed robberies or attempted robberies. So he robbed um, a convenience store in El Monte where a clerk was shot in the leg. Come on. They attempted a robbery at a trailer park in Baldwin Park during which two people were shot. A robbery of a customer at a gas station in El Monte. An attempted robbery of several customers at a gas station in Baldwin Park, during which two of those customers were shot. And a robbery at a shopping center in Altaloma. So, yeah, he clearly was very bold, very confident in his abilities. (laughs) And didn't give one single fuck. Right. And was not afraid to shoot people. No. On November 24th, 1989, 19-year-old John Lewis was arrested for the string of robberies, but was only convicted of possessing a sawed-off shotgun. Mm. Yeah. So, mo- if he put okay, if he possesses the shotgun that presumably was used to shoot five people in these past five robberies, you would think he could possibly be charged with those, right? But no. And he was sent right on back to California Youth Authority for this parole violation. That's what they cited it as. A parole, a parole violation. fucking violation. When he's out here robbing and and, and mobbing and doing all that. <laughs> robbing and mobbing. <laughs> and plotting. And plotting and, and, and all that terrible things. Okay. And from November 1989 to June 29th, 1991, he was locked up and... Um, June 29th, he was let go, which was just six days before he'd commit his first murder. Oh, my God. So he's learned nothing. Oh, uh, Juvie, all it did was probably hone his skills a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Harding all his heard. heart. Yeah. But it is interesting because Robin let Juvie or mm-hmm. through Juvie, she allowed it to mature her and make her mm-hmm. want better. Mm-hmm. John took the same opportunity to basically go the complete opposite way. Yep. And to yep. be worse of a person. Yep. Isn't that kind of crazy just to see both sides of the coin and within a family, you know, right there in front of you? Yeah. So about 10 p.m. on July 5th, 1991 in Mor- Monrovia, California, John was riding in Eileen's car. Remember, Eileen is his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And they were following Derek Colbert, which is one of his brother-in-laws, and then a guy named Timmy Lane, who I guess was just his friend. Derek and Timmy were in Timmy's car. And Timmy's car bumped a red truck that was being driven by 22-year-old Jose Avina. Mm-hmm. And after he was like hit, he pulled over and stopped, which is what you're supposed to do. It's customary. Right. John approached Jose and demanded the keys to the truck. Jose gave him the keys and John still decided to shoot and kill him. You see what I'm saying? There's just no empathy here. Uh, Completely unnecessary. Jose was shot once in the head with a 12-gauge sawed-off shotgun. So homeboy clearly has a favorite weapon to use. And when we say being shot once by a shotgun, you're getting hit by multiple tiny pellets. Oh yeah. Like if you yeah. If so you didn't I'm know sure that. It was a mess. 
<laughs> I shouldn't just assume that you guys know that. But yeah, shotgun blast is probably the worst thing ever to get shot with because you're not just getting shot once. You're getting shot like a bunch of microscopic times. Maybe not that small, but you get what I'm trying to say. It's a, a hot bunch mess. of times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, a bunch of holes. R.I.P. Juan. R.I.P. Jose. Jose. Sorry. I'm looking at the wrong picture. We'll get to Juan. R.I.P. Just horrible. R.I.P. Jose. R.I.P. The truck rolled onto a lawn in front of an apartment complex. John then pulled Jose's body out of the truck and jumped into the driver's seat and drove to Baldwin Park, where he and his little accomplices removed the stereo equipment from the truck. Yeah. Yeah. All for some stereo equipment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, there's nothing else that they really even got from the truck. There, I don't think there was any money involved. It was just a waste of time. John then drove the truck to Pomona and abandoned it there. The stereo system was later found in a brown 1983 Oldsmobile Cutlass, the car that John was driving at the time, <laughs> which is just crazy. Mm. Thrifty. <laughs> Thrifty. You're looking a little thrifty, John. Because I'm like, the least he could do is just sell it. Right. Just sell it. Don't keep it in your car. Why you would you fucking keep it? dumbass? <laughs> like, you're literally an idiot, but that just shows he doesn't give a dog on. Yeah. About anything. No. Jose was recently engaged at the time of his death. Mm. His fiance found out he was dead because of all the commotion she heard outside. Like, he was just about to be home. And when she ran out, she talked to an officer and she let them know that the deceased man was her man. No. Jose. Yeah. Could you imagine? I just feel, I feel for her. Jose died from a shotgun blast to the left side of his face, which, okay, this is where it gets graphic. And I'm quoting this straight from the trial documents, which obliterated most of the left temporal and occipital lobes of his brain. Several copper-coated pellets and fragments were removed from his head. Wow. So, yeah. Shotgun blast to the face, it's not going to be pretty. No. Who can survive something like that? Nobody. That I, no. I highly doubt it. Yeah, no. On August 3rd, 1991, so that's about what? Maybe almost a full month? Yeah. Yeah, almost a full month after Augustine and Linda Ramirez were headed to work at the restaurant they owned called Magic Mushroom in West Covina. Ooh, sounds fun. It sounds a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Chris, and Google it while I go through this. <laughs> I already forgot the name. Okay, Magic Mushroom. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> West Covina. They were a married couple who had a friend named Sil- Sylvia Medina who lived in the Woodside Village Apartments with her daughter, Barbara Espinoza. Barbara met John and went on a few dates with him. So the way that Barbara met John was at their apartment complex. She lived in apartment A and John and Robin lived in apartment E. So that's how they met. They went on a few dates in July and Robin started becoming friendly with Sylvia, Barbara's mom. So on the morning of August 3rd, the Ramirez's drove to their restaurant in separate cars. And by midnight, they decided it was time to call it a day. Augustine walked Linda to her car in the alley behind the restaurant and then began to walk to his car. When Linda started her car and turned on the headlights, she saw a car with two people in it drive up to her husband and stop right in front of him, like blocking his way. 
Linda tried to get out of the car to possibly warn her husband, but because before she could, John shot Augustine once in the stomach and then the car just drove away. Like for what? Yeah. So from what we know, Vince was the one that was in the car driving the getaway car. Mm. Augustine Ramirez was taken to a hospital where he died from a single gunshot wound to his left abdomen. Stippling around the wound and on his left forearm indicated that the shot was fired from a distance of about two feet. Are you mother serious? Are you mother? I'm trying to curse. Are you father kidding? (laughs) Are you joking me? Two feet? Caleb, that's right in my face. That's what I'm saying. Like, how can I measure two feet? Take your arm. This can be approximately one foot. And then extend it. So, boom. That boom. is so close. So, this dude is literally the Kale, the computer's farther from me. Oh my God. Than how this guy was standing next to Augustine with a shotgun and shot him in the stomach. And John did that, by the way. John, what are you doing? <laughs> Throwing his life away. 13 copper coated double lot shotgun pellets were removed from Augustine's body. The next morning, five of Ramirez's credit cards were found near a dumpster on the grounds of the Edgewood Middle School in West Covina. And that's going to come up again. So keep it in your mind. Rest in peace, Augustine. Absolutely. what the fuck? You did not deserve that at all. You literally did nothing. You did nothing. Even if you told him during that short conversation you guys were having, even if you said your mama's a hoe, you still didn't deserve to be shot like a dog in the street. And sometimes I feel like if I was ever in a situation like that, would I be a person who like begged for my life or would I just be like, screw you and go out that way? Because I feel like I would definitely do anything I would have to do to survive, period, end of story. <laughs> but The way my ego set up, <laughs> it's really know. a toss up. I just have to, I have to know, I have to be in the situation to know how I'd react. God forbid. We'd yes, never. God forbid be in that situation ever r.i.p augustine on august 9th 1991 eugene valdez a car salesman in the city of industry was driving home in his new 1983 brown's oldsmobile cutlass (laughs) i know that sounds familiar but it's not the same car so don't get confused okay and he just bought that car from the dealership that he was working at so he's pretty proud Mm -hmm. and i'm proud of him he was headed to victorville which is where he lives. And it was about 70 miles away from his job. And 30 minutes into the ride, Eugene was feeling just way too sleepy to to just take the straight shot. Right. So he decided to stop and rest in a restaurant parking lot. <sighs> he locked his doors. He turned off his engine and he just fell asleep, which is like my biggest fear. I will never do this. Two hours later, Eugene woke up to find John and Vince banging on his car windows, yelling for him to open the door. They also had the sawed-off shotgun with them, and he could, like, visibly see it. Eugene was forced to lie face down on his own back seat while Vince sat on his legs and held a shotgun against his neck. John was in the driver's seat, and after picking a music station on the fucking radio, he drove off. So as this man is in the back seat being sh- essentially straddled like and he- have a gun pointed to his jugular, you want you want to pick a, a good song to pull You're off weird. to? You're weird, bro. Like why didn't you just leave him there and take off with the car? Like you're weird. 
Yeah. But you rather sit on his legs while he's in the backseat face down? Like, you're weird. Get you're out. Weird. Yeah. While they were in the car, Vince threatened to kill Eugene multiple times. But John was like, quote, don't do it. We can use the car. Okay. Yeah. So don't mm-hmm. like dirty the car up with exactly. his blood. Exactly. I need some shit in here. Mm-hmm. The whole time they're driving, Vince is hitting Eugene, spitting on him, telling him to give up his credit cards and jewelry, just just attacking him the whole time. And Eugene is just like, here, take whatever. Like, just please, like, leave me the fuck alone. Right. Like, ew. Yeah. Get me out of my sleep for this. You literally could have just taken my car and left my black or my whatever ass ass alone. (laughs) You know? Take my credit cards. I don't care. Leave me butt naked on the side of the road. Just leave me be. Just just fuck off, please. After driving for about 30 minutes, the men ordered Eugene out of the car. By this time, they traveled up part of the mountain and pulled into a turnout near the Morris Dam, which was 10 miles north of West Covina. John and Vince ordered Eugene to walk toward the edge of the turnout where the land just like dropped off into like a ditch or like a Mm -hmm. pit type of thing. Run. Literally. (laughs) Yes. This is when Eugene noticed a second car pull up next to his that was occupied by a woman. Mm, mm, mm. Which I'm like, how the fuck does she even know where to meet this man? It's 1991. Like, are they calling them on the payphone? Like, this is very, very thought Girl, out. when did cell phones come out? Beach, like, 2000? Lies. 19, 1997? Maybe, like, the big, the big chunky dinosaur ones? Could have been. Maybe they were literally following them the whole time and he just didn't notice. True. True. Kristen, stop reading me for Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to do it but me? Thank you. While Eugene was walking, he could hear the two men arguing about who would shoot him. Run. And instead of risking the possibility of being shot with a fucking shotgun, he threw himself off of the cliff. Period. Who would have done the same thing? Beach, break all my bones, but don't <laughs> blast a hole into me with like one of the deadliest weapons. <laughs> At this point, it's stop, drop, and roll. Like, because we're gonna we're gonna make it out of here or we're gonna die trying. Protect your neck, tuck, and just and get down that damn hill. <laughs> and he fell for a hundred and fifty feet. Good lord. Thank God in this time of year, it was like muddy so he didn't fall on rocks he didn't fall on straight hard ground he fell on some mud and that cushioned his fall and he survived <gasps> oh my god <laughs> thank you Lord. i was literally like i was holding my breath for you to yeah. finish that freaking sentence <sighs> yes so fucking happy that he survived so <sighs> happy lord he sat there for about 30 minutes just to be sure that his kidnappers were gone and once he knew they were gone he climbed Back up that slope. Yeah. Climbed back up that whatever the fuck you want to call it and found a passerby who took him to a phone to call police. Wow. Survivor mode. What a survivor, man. I mean, that was like a split second decision. He said, I'm not about to, y'all not about to get me. If I'm out going out, I'm going out the way I say. Period. John then used some parts from Eugene's cutlass and added them to his own brown cutlass. Which police were able to f- literally, like, connect later on. He's an idiot. Complete idiot. He took the car radio, the battery, the tires, the speaker covers, the front grill and bumper, the hood, the left rear taillight assembly, and the front fenders. 
So basically, he left the frame and the engine and just built himself a whole new car. Like, it just shows, though, like, how he's his brain is working. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even register that he's doing something that is completely abhorrible. Like, he's just like, no, nah, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to, like, get oh, some no, new no, stuff no, no, on no. my ride. Oh, no, 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 no. He does register it. And we're going to get to that later. But I feel comfortable telling you right now. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that what he's doing is wrong. He just does not give a fuck. Okay. Heard. He then abandoned, John then abandoned the car in Baldwin Park, where it was found six days after the kidnapping. So it was a kidnapping. Yes, it was traumatic for Eugene. Absolutely. He probably has therapy to this day, but he survived. And we're really happy about that. Absolutely. Four days after the kidnapping of Eugene Valdez, Eileen was visiting her father who lived in Baldwin Park. Mm -hmm. On August 13th, Gary Huber and his daughter and his son, so What's her name? Eileen had a brother who was a drug addict also. Well, not a drug addict. He was a drug dealer for sure. Could have been an addict. Don't know. But do know he was a dealer. They were all headed to Pismo Beach to spend like some quality time together. And when they returned the next day, they found that the whole house had been broken into and ransacked. That's your people's Eileen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's completely responsible. So (laughs) several of Gary's firearms were missing, including Five rifles. Dang. A Ruger 357 Mag. Uh, 350. How do you say that? Th- 357? Let's say that. Okay. 357. Like, I don't know. 357 Magnum. Condom. And ah. a 38 caliber Smith and Wesson. Stop. And a 38 caliber Smith and Wesson. The thieves, who, you know, we all know, it was John and Vince and probably Robin was there too. They also took two boxes of ammunition, a gun case, two holsters, a bayonet, and a survival knife. They have everything they need to literally go to war mm-hmm. and kill a bunch more people. And they got it all from one house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you see the pictures, Eileen is a Caucasian woman. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that her dad may have an arsenal in their home. Well, here's the thing. I was just going to say there's so many gun issues we could talk about just from this one freaking story, but I'm not going to get into it. Don't. If he lived out in the country, Mm -hmm. does it make more sense for him to have a whole artillery? Well, nowadays, it doesn't really need to make sense. (laughs) You can just be, you know, looking for a hobby and go out and buy 100 guns if you got the money. Which is, you know, that should really get a lot of people thinking. Like, is this something that should be allowed here in this country? (laughs) Yay or nay? What do you guys think? Comment. What do you you guys think? Let us know what your stance is on gun laws. Without getting too political, I don't want to have an argument. Okay. (laughs) The very next day at around 10 p.m., Juan Rios and his fiance, Sonia Aguirre, I tried. Yeah, you did. Visited an ATM at a security Pacific bank in West Covina. As Juan was inserting his card into the reader, a man ran up to the driver's side, pointed a gun at him, and ordered him to take out as much money as possible or he'd be shot. Another man then approached the passenger side and pointed a gun at Sonia, demanding that she give him the engagement ring that she was wearing. While Sonia handed over her ring, Juan was trying to withdraw the money, but the ATM wasn't working for some reason. So, both... Moral of this, of this week's case, run. Pedal to the metal is Absolutely. the moral. Of this case. 
I hope you didn't put your car in park. Like, <laughs> to the metal. <laughs> I felt that. I need a shirt that says that right now. Juan then drove to the front of the bank and attempted to withdraw money from the walk-up ATM. Now, bef- before we get to what happened next, John and Vince got into the car with okay. Juan and Sonia because when they realized the ATM wasn't working, they were like, okay, well, we got to go somewhere at the fuck else. So they got into the car. Juan or John was sitting behind Juan and Vince was sitting behind Sonia with guns po- pointed to the back of their, uh, behind them, the seats. Juan was able to get $200 out, which gave, which he gave to John and Vince along with his watch, his gold chain and his ring. So it just seems like Juan was kind of like a flossy motherfucker, which yeah, I can get a little behind. bit humble, behind that. humble floss. You know, I like the gold chain. Yeah. This is when Vince asked John what they were going to do next, which John responded, quote, I have a plan. John then took the driver's seat and told Juan and Sonia that they would not be harmed since they were cooperating. About three miles from the bank, John pulled over and let Juan and Sonia out of the car. He, th- he told them not to try anything or they would be killed. But once John and Vince drove away, the couple walked to a nearby store where they called police. <laughs> Period. <sighs> Don't you feel like you can breathe now that you know that they survived? <laughs> Literally held my breath. Like, why, yeah. why all of a sudden is he sparing folks? Isn't that very interesting? That's, I think that's what I have the biggest question about throughout this whole entire case is why he let them survive. Why? Because there were other people that I feel like were cooperating, you know, even possibly Jose, the first murder, Jose was possibly, he gave him the keys. I'm cooperating. And yet you still decide to, you know, shoot shoot me. me. Terrible. On August 18th at around 9.30 p.m., 41-year-old Willie Sams drove his car to the same bank Jose and Sonia drove to on August 14th. So according to Willie's wife, he like, his wa- his daughter had got married that day. He went to the bank just to get some cash out, nothing too crazy. And unfortunately, he never came home. No. Yes, because from the gas station across the street, John saw Willie pull up to the ATM. John and Vince approached Willie's car, got in his car, pointed the Ruger handgun at him, and demanded that he draw- withdraw $200 from his ATM. And then $600 from a second location. John drove Willie to Edgewood Middle School after, you know, getting the money, which is the same school where Augustine's credit cards were found in early August. They forced Willie to get into the dumpster near the baseball field. And after he did, they both opened fire on Willie, killing him. They then stole the radio from his car, attempted to wipe their fingerprints off the car, and then abandoned it in a nearby shopping center parking lot. And it was found two days later, thankfully with usable prints in the mm-hmm. car and papers in the car. They had John's prints in the car and they also had a Robin's prints on papers that they found. Okay. So, so she was there. Mm-hmm. Shortly after 11 p.m. that same night, police found Willie's body and recovered several bullets and bullet fragments from the dumpster. Around 1 a.m., $60 was, with- was withdrawn from Willie's bank account using an ATM machine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know this, but in 1991, ATMs did have cameras. So good. (laughs) That gives you guys some type of like idea that they're going to get caught. Also, rest in peace to Willie. 
rest in peace to Willie. Are you fucking joking? I haven't even gotten to the part that honestly, I felt my nose start tingling a little bit. I was very hurt by this. I'm like, I don't know why this is hitting me so hard. I don't know either, but it but sucks. It's, it's hitting me really hard. I can't lie. <sighs> okay. Willie died from gunshot wounds to his head, torso, and legs. One gunshot perforated his heart, which was more likely the fatal blow. Mm. Four shots entered the right side of his body and traveled to the left, while three shots entered the left side and traveled to the right, indicating that the shots came from two different sources. And when I first read that, it just really just made me sick. I mean, they literally, they didn't have to both shoot him. They didn't have to do that. No, like they shot him like he was a soldier of war that they wanted to kill. Yeah, like it was literally a ca- a war casualty. Because, you know, when it comes to war, people think anything and everything goes. Right. The very next fucking day, Vince and Robin went to a store in El Monte and tried to buy $700 worth of shit with Willie's card. <laughs> and when the card was declined, they quickly like just left the store. <laughs> they were like, okay, we need to get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Like what made them think they were going to get $700 worth of money? I mean, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe they, they were like, if we run it as credit. Okay. Maybe they were saying, you know, oh, we'll run it as credit and then it'll go through or whatever. Because sometimes, you know, if you don't have it a debit, you could do credit and just pay it later type of situation. But And then I was thinking maybe when they withdraw the $60, it showed them the amount left. Mm-hmm. You know how sometimes on the receipt, it'll mm-hmm. show you what's mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I mean, good observation. Five days later, around 11.30 a.m. on August 24th, 1991, Neil Nesbitt and his wife Elizabeth drove their car to the Puente Hills Mall. 49-year-old Elizabeth was either wearing a, or carrying several jewelry items, including a gold ring with 17 diamonds. Holy crap. Dang. <laughs> a gold bangle bracelet and a gold rope chain bracelet. She was waiting in the car while her husband ran into the mall for an errand. And when Neil came out of the store about 10 minutes later, his wife and his car were both gone. He searched for his wife for hours, but didn't find her. So he called police. What he didn't know was that around the same time he and his wife pulled up to the mall. So did Robin, John, and it was either Vince or Eileen or both. It's not really known. They pulled up too. They saw Elizabeth in the car and decided to approach her. John forced his way into the car and pointed his gun at Elizabeth while someone else bound her hands and feet together with duct tape. After that, they headed north on the 605 freeway. I don't think that's how you say that. 605. There you go. (laughs) 605 freeway with Eileen's car following behind them. When they finally stopped along the side of the freeway, John shot and killed Elizabeth before one of the others removed her jewelry and they all left in Eileen's car. Why? Like, what is his? Oh, I just feel like killing today. Oh, I don't feel like killing today. Like, is it just that simple? It really seems like it's like, oh, let's go get some money and fuck shit up. You know, that's really how I feel like somebody said it. Very vague, but also like, you know what we're about to do. I mean, and Mrs. Nisbet looked like she has some money. Miss Nisbet looks like a bag of money herself. Right. So for you to be withdrawing a hundred dollars here and and a hundred dollars there, like I just feel like this is just some real low down, yeah. trashy mess. It's that's very going sloppy. On. It's very just impulsive. Yeah. Disgusting, violent, horrible. You're not even being strategic. No. No. 
just doing what they've seen has worked for them in the past over and over again. Around 310 that same day, California highway officers found the car on the side of the freeway and they found Elizabeth's body under a blanket on the rear floorboards. Her body wasn't even cold yet. <laughs> that is not me editorializing either. That was written in the trial transcripts. I feel like those transcripts are like, let's horrify you as much as possible with every gruesome detail. Absolutely. So they want to find, find these people guilty. Right. <laughs> they yeah. want a conviction. And with those details, I would have clearly convicted them. Yeah. Elizabeth was killed by a gunshot wound to her left temple, but she was shot in her left arm and her hand as well. She had a large blunt force trauma injury between her eyes, lacerations on her cheeks and lips, blackened eyes, and bruises on her wrists and hands. So, so basically, they beat, they beat her, her up. Yes. They, they were not just letting her hang out. She was hurt during this process. Elizabeth, I hope you were fighting. <laughs> we'll we'll kind of get some more to the details, but they're probably just going to break your heart even more. So just prepare yourself. There were holes in the blanket she was covered in. So they had her in the backseat, just like covered in a, in a blanket while they were driving around to the different ATM um, spots and getting her money. They had her covered with a blanket and there were shots through the blanket. So... That just kind of shows that they didn't even like try to uncover her before they killed her. They just shot her through the blanket in the backseat. Two bullet fragments were removed from Elizabeth's brain and two from her forearm. A criminalist concluded that the Smith & Wesson revolver stolen from Gary Huber could have fired the, full, the bullets removed from her body, as well as three bullets recovered from the car. So they're already bringing things together. They're saying like, oh shit, these cases are very much connected. So. What can we do? Convict. <laughs> Find them and then convict for mm -hmm. sure. Between 12.15 p.m. and 1 p.m. on August 27th. My birthday. A hey. sad day for some. Yes. Very sad day for 56-year-old Shirley Dinojian. Dinojian? Dinojian. That's what it was. When she drove her Mercedes-Benz car to the Puente Hills Mall. Around the same time, the foursome were on their way back to the mall as well. And of course, John brought the Ruger handgun and this time some zip ties with him. So we already know he plans on probably kidnapping at the very least, possibly murdering someone else. Right. Very premeditated. He saw Shirley enter the mall and come back around 20 minutes later. And as she was getting back in her car, John forced his way into the car and held Shirley at gunpoint. One or more of the accomplices tied Shirley's hands in front of her with the plastic ties. They then drove her to the first interstate's, interstate bank's city of industry branch where $400 was withdrawn from her account. John then drove Shirley to another branch of the same bank where Eileen withdrew another $100 from the account. And then they tried several more times to withdraw money, but it wasn't, it didn't work. Mm. Josh or John, Josh. John drove Shirley's car west on the Pomona Freeway, stopping between the Rosemead and San Gabriel Boulevard exits. And Eileen was following in her car. John then forced Shirley out at gunpoint to walk down an embankment to an area surrounded by bushes. And once there, John fired three shots at Shirley, killing her. John and the three others then drove back or drove wherever the fuck they went in Eileen's car. Shirley died from two gunshot wounds to her head, but both bullets entered the right side of her head and exited the left side. 
Gunshot residue around the wound, around one of the wounds indicated the shot was fired at close range. <sighs> Shirley Denogian also had gunshot wounds to her left hand and to both legs. So I guess kind of saying like, you know, she tried to shield herself from it or something like that. And an analyst concluded that the gun used to kill Shir- Shirley was one of the guns that was stolen from Gary Huber's house. So the crumbs are coming together. Rest in peace, Shirley. Rest in peace, Shirley. You were a beautiful woman. And you looked sweet as pie. And you didn't deserve this. At around 12.04 a.m. the next day, $220 was withdrawn from Shirley's bank account through an ATM at a convenience store. Her car was found in El Monte the same day, and fingerprints on the car and on papers found in the car matched John and Robin's prints. Hmm. So... Police were able to find a receipt and it was like an ATM receipt that was between the seats Mm -hmm. and they found it. They did some testing on it and they found some fingerprints on it. I think they either found John or Robin's fingerprints. But what they wanted to focus on was that they had the location of the exact ATM that this transaction took place. And it was moments before they knew that Shirley was killed. So what they did was they went back to that ATM got, I guess, access to the footage and everything like that. And they they were able to get pictures of who was there at the ATM when these transactions were taking place. Okay. I'm like, is this the only ATM that had a mother freaking camera? So it wasn't. I I don't think it was. I just think that they didn't really know before this that the ATMs were even a part of the crimes. Mm, They didn't have have a receipt. Yeah, they didn't have like complete evidence that, hey, this is where they went before they were killed this that or whatever. Okay. So they were able to get a couple of pictures from that. And because at this time, so many different of the crimes were happening in different, I guess, jurisdictions mm-hmm. for law enforcement, a lot of them were working together. Okay. And so one man that was from West Covina noticed or saw the picture, was shown the picture and recognized everybody in the picture because he had been one of the people that had run-ins with the foursome at the apartment complex okay so he was about he was able to be like i know exactly who the fuck they are and i know exactly where the fuck they live okay bet (laughs) so at this point it's already you know it's already happening for them they're just waiting for signatures basically thank god yes So when it came to arresting them, Eileen Huber was arrested around 2.30 a.m. on August 27th, 1991. Yay! Yes. She was in her car. They pulled her ass over. They pulled her ass out the car. (laughs) She told them that John, Robin, and Vince were all at the house. And around 3.15 a.m., they were all arrested, too. Wow. So she's snitching, too? I mean, she what what was she she really going to do? Was she going to ride for somebody? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do if you're going to be in a situation like that. And call I mean, yourself a thugger, thugger. I mean, if the police are in your face pulling you out, manhandling you, <laughs> you know, let's let's be real. They probably knocked her around a little bit. She's going to spill the tea, Kristen. Mm. Well, we're glad that she did. Yes, I'm happy that she was a snitch ass bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Save some lives. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> Gary Huber's Ruger handgun, loaded with bullets and still bearing John's fingerprints, was found on the living room floor a few feet from John. (laughs) This is beautiful. Gary Huber's loaded Smith & Wesson revolver was found under a child's bed in the bedroom. Hmm. 
Gary Hoover's five rifles, the rifle case, the ammunition clips, and two gun belts were all found in that in that apartment. Wow. <laughs> so, so that was the spot, my period. <laughs> I just love when they're so fucking stupid. His two metal ammunition boxes and his bayonet, as well as a firearm cleaning rod and loose ammunition were found in the apartment's dishwasher. Don't mm-hmm. know why, but okay. I guess they were trying to like wipe their, get their fingerprints clean or maybe, you know, I don't okay. know what, the, what they were thinking. They tried it. Yeah. Didn't do well. Several plastic ties of the kind used to bind murder victim Shirley Denosian were found in the dishwasher and in the hall closet. The roll of duct tape that had been used to bind murder victim Elizabeth Nisbet was found inside the nightstand in the bedroom. An ex- unexploded triple aught shotgun shell was found in a patch of ivy outside the front door, and Gary Hooper's black survival knife was found in Eileen Hooper's car. Mm. So, so they have everything. everything they need. Chris, they have everything they need. The case has been tied up in a pretty ass bow for them. Mm-hmm. Handed off to the DA. The search also revealed several items of the victim's property, including Shirley's white purse, her credit card, camera, and diamond engagement and wedding ring set, and the radio from murder victim Willie's car. At the time of her arrest, Robin was wearing several pieces of murder victim Elizabeth's jewelry, and when Eileen was being arrested, she was wearing a ring from, I think, Shirley. So, these people really didn't give a fuck. Walking around town, like, they run the place. And that's I'm what, sure. I think that's what infuriates me the most. It's like, it's one thing to be a killer, right? Like, okay. I'm not accepting it, but whatever. But then to be a killer that is so flamboyant and disrespectful and heartless, especially when it comes to the people that they killed that did not deserve this. Like, those are the worst to me. I agree. I feel like the least you could do is be freaking smart about what you're doing. And they're not smart at all, which makes me feel (laughs) like so there was no real reason that these, you know, people died by the hands of an idiot like that just pisses me off yep 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 after his arrest john made four statements to law enforcement officers in which he admitted killing like all four victims Mm -hmm. but he denied kidnapping valdez eugene the one who survived yes eugene Mm -hmm. the one that like threw himself off that thing in regards to the death of Jose, he claimed that he was on the way to a party with Tommy and his brother-in-law when Tommy accidentally hit Jose's truck. John said that Jose became enraged and said, quote, I should blow your black ass away. Fucking N-word. End quote. Which I highly doubt, but it's also possible. I'll <laughs> anyone. Like, we don't know. At the end I mean, of the it's day. possible in 2021, but it's <laughs> But <laughs> it's think about possible. it. If John is standing there with the shotgun right next to Jose, mm-hmm. you think Jose's popping off at the mouth like that? No, 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 no. And why would he give him the keys while he's saying, I should blow your ass away, you fucking... When you, know? you clearly have the shotgun and I don't have anything. Nothing. No. Well, John claims that when he approached the car after Jose said what he said, he thought Jose was reaching for a gun and that's why he decided to shoot him in the face. Goodbye. He said he used a double-op buck ammunition because when he was growing up, his stepfather told him, quote, if you ever buy a shotgun and you want some shit that will blow a motherfucker's head off, this is what you buy. Well, I believe that. In regards to Willie, Willie Sam's murder, he said that Willie begged for his life, but John said he still shot him five times until, quote, 
He couldn't shoot no more. He says he shot Willie because Willie could identify him, but also said that he shot him because he resembled his abusive stepfather. Mm. Which I feel like at this point, at this point, John is trying to talk his way out of culpability. I really feel like he's trying to lean more toward, oh, I'm going to blame what happened to me for what I've done. So I'm going to blame, right. I'm going Mm -hmm. to blame my actions on my past. Correct. On what was done to me. You know, when in reality, everyone he hurt did absolutely nothing to him. Right. Like, what do you have to say about Shirley and Elizabeth? Why did you kill them? Oh, we're getting there. (sighs) Regarding Elizabeth's murder, John said he originally went to the mall intending to rob a jewelry store so they could just stop like having to rob and kill so much, I guess. But when he saw Elizabeth, he decided it would be easier to rob her instead. When Elizabeth began screaming, quote, don't kill me and breaking free from her restraints, that's when John decided to shoot and kill her. But she was under a blanket. Thank you. On the floor in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to everyone's attention. (laughs) You're a liar, John. Load of shit. Regarding Shirley's murder, he said he decided to kidnap her from the mall instead of going into the jewelry store. He said at one point, Shirley said, quote, Go ahead and kill me now. And then she attempted to strike John and grab his gun. After John parked and ordered Shirley to walk down the embankment, she said, quote, I know you're going to kill me, so I might as well start screaming now. Oh, God. Well, John, I ain't mad at Shirley the heck. Like, she said, at least she'd have some resolve. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm, I'm about going to kiss out, your ass. Right. right. If I'm going out, I'm not kissing butt. Right. John shot Shirley only after she screamed and tried to run away. John admitted he shot Shirley because she could identify him, which it's like all these people could fucking identify you. Were you wearing a mask? No, he was not. And the thing is, it's like if you were so worried about people that you're robbing, identifying you, how about you make it impossible for them to identify you? And why did you let go the couple that could clearly identify you? Right. But you let them go. So just shut up. And they could have because they did stay behind them. You know, they stayed mm-hmm. behind them in the seat or whatever. They maybe thought, oh, they didn't get a good look at us. Which is stupid because that, of your rear mirrors. And yeah. they were originally. <laughs> duh. Do you and think they, they were, thought about that, Kristen? No. Idiots. That's why I keep saying it's so it's pissing me off that they're dumb. But they were also <laughs> standing at the window pointing the gun at them before they had even got in the car. Yeah. Yeah. So say what you want, but we know what the fuck the vibe was. John said he knew that everything he had done was wrong. Remember, I said he knew that. So he did say that he knew that it was wrong and that he had to suffer the consequences. He said, quote, I'm not afraid to die. I don't have nothing to live for. Oh, went, went. Mm. Fucking went, went. I mean, that explains your behavior. We see a lot of victimization in the people who are creating more victims. Oh, Kristen. Oh, hurt people, hurt people. Period. Textbook. When it comes to motive, John said, I enjoyed killing. I wanted to kill them all. I wanted to hurt them because of how I was hurt when I was a kid. So, yeah. If you don't deal with the pain, it can rear its ugly head and turn you into a vile monster. Yeah. And that's what happened in this situation. All four murderers were tried together. Isn't that wild? I think that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Did they all have the same lawyer? No, they had different, 
like attorneys representing them but it was all like from the same side of the table (laughs) and it's so funny because some of them were like trying to get others to turn on others and it was just a shit show but before the arraignments even started or even like during the arraignments their attitudes and demeanors were so disgusting Kristen, and like unapologetic they were so bad like vince even stuck his tongue out at the reporters yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after you just went on like a killing spree you want to play tongue-in-cheek like you know what i'm saying There's i would have no hopped over that table so quick there's no remorse and None. then he has nerve to try to put on a show exactly and if you're on patreon you will be seeing that video clip right now and it's probably infuriating you if you're not on patreon what are you doing willie's wife even commented on their behavior when asked by reporters and here is what she had to say she was not fucking playing around she was actually incredibly pissed like she took it back to the nazi days and yeah. she said i hope they all die in a gas chamber like where do they do that at she <laughs> was like i am envy she was yeah yeah all i can say is i feel you sis i feel you i hear that pain like seeing those faces and how just nonchalant they looked i would have it would have set me the fuck off so so before the trial they all tried to sever their cases from the other robin and vince wanted out the most because like i said john and eileen had admitted their culpability and they're like well if we didn't admit it we don't want to suffer the same type of you know scrutiny that they are but this motion was denied Hmm. The court said, quote, we may reverse a judgment only on a showing that joinder resulted in gross unfairness amounting to a denial of due process. So basically, if you can prove to me that them being tried together is violating their rights, then we'll make a change. Okay. But until then, I won't, we won't be doing it. Period. So the, the following, some of this stuff, I'm going to have to paraphrase after because it's very like legal, legal jargony. So just bear with me. Before trial started, John also moved for a change of venue on the grounds that otherwise a fair trial could not be had because of the local media coverage of the crimes. So basically, they just wouldn't be able to get a unbiased enough jury to even cover the case. Okay. In support of the motion, the defense submitted copies of local newspaper articles about the crimes and court proceedings and videotapes of televised news coverage on september 14th 1992 the court held a lengthy hearing a lengthy hearing during which it viewed the videotapes but it concluded that the news coverage was largely factual rather than inflammatory and that the bulk of it had occurred a year before the hearing on the motion okay the juror questionnaire revealed that although the prospective jurors had general knowledge about the crimes they were not prejudiced against the defendants so basically, like, because I don't live under a rock, I know that this shit happened, but I don't know enough about it to be you know, unqualified for mm-hmm. this this um, jury position. Okay. The defense presented evidence that John was in custody from 1115 on July 4th, 1991 until sometime between 620 on July 5th, 1991, the day Jose Avino was killed, which means fucking absolutely nothing because he was on his way to a party it was like late at night he was not in jail at the time that the killing was you know occurred so what the fuck is the defense talking about i do not know but thinking about all the evidence that they have against 
you know, John. They probably was pulling absolutely anything, anything out their asses. They could. Mm-hmm. Eileen testified that she was scared of guns, but she continued to hang around people that use guns because she was scared and that John had threatened to kill her if she left him. Girl. Which we all know could possibly be true, but like, bitch, fuck you. But she's, I mean, it could. Have it been could true. be true, but I digress. Yeah. Both Robin and Eileen's <laughs> defense teams essentially try to distance the, their clients as much as possible from John. So they're basically trying to play like, oh, we were the scared little girls. We were forced to do all of this. Although we were wearing jewelry and stolen rings. Rocking chains, doing this, that, and the third, trying to go spend $700 on some clothes, bitch, that you know you didn't have the money for. Like, they were aware of everything. And they thought they were cute. Oh, yeah. Specifically. They thought they were like the ideal little foursome. Mm Mm-hmm. In June 1992, while John was in the country, in the county jail awaiting trial, a homemade stabbing instrument known as a shank was found in his cell. So this is before trial has even started. He's been in jail waiting and he's just already fucking shit up. One day in November 1992, during the trial, a deputy sheriff found an 11 inch diameter hole in the wall of the courthouse lockup where John (laughs) Where John was placed when he wasn't in the courtroom. He was digging himself out. So he's just a menace to society. Oh, yeah. He's a disaster. The trial because he needs to go to jail. He needs to be locked up away forever. With cement walls. Genuinely. Francis Crinella, a psychologist specializing in neuropsychology, testified that John's violent behavior, as well as his inability to control himself or his impulses to organize his behavior or to consider alternatives, were related to organic brain damage and his chaotic childhood. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Lots of words for some shit we already know. And where did the brain damage come from? Well, I think we're going to get to that. that, I think we're going to get to that in a second. Okay. Dr. Cronella based this opinion on John's behavior, his inability to pr- to profit from experience, his poor achievement in school, his history of seizures, and neuropsychological test results that were consistent with mild diffuse brain damage. Okay. So maybe because of some of the abuse that he experienced when he was younger, he did have some developmental issues. After that, and apparently he had seizures, which I didn't see anywhere else. Okay. So clearly that shows that there's something, you know, wrong chemically in his brain. Okay. In her opinion, John was a very fearful person with a predatory worldview and a limited emotional repertoire. He put on a show of bravado and toughness to hide his fear. Mm, I believe that. Me too. John believed everyone was out to get him. And that she said, she also said that he was very manipulative, which mm-hmm. like, duh. Mm-hmm. But when she said like the limited emotional repertoire, I was like, ooh, that makes a lot of sense because he probably really doesn't know how to even show mercy or, you know, happiness or genuine, um, what, guilt. Maybe he just doesn't have that because he didn't need to have it in the short life that he's had so far, you know? Because yeah. at this time, what, he's maybe 22 years old? I can see that. I really do. I just really, it just brings me back to that thought of why did he let that couple go? Yeah. You know, like, why did why did he choose that specific couple to allow to live? And this was right after, I think his name was Eugene, had already flung himself off a cliff to survive. Right. So at that point, I would be more like, uh-oh, we let one go. We need to be more ruthless with the next 
couple ones, mm-hmm. but no, he let a whole couple go. Well, so I just wonder why. Well, I'm a little hazy about the timeline on that because I don't want to say that it for sure happened after, right after. Eugene because okay. I, I can't recall. On cross-examination, Dr. Cronella acknowledged that California Youth Authority mental health professionals said John did not have brain damage, but rather had an antisocial personality disorder. She also testified that during interviews, John had said he would kill a guard or other inmates in prison. So, you know, he's just being who he is through and through. A trash bag individual. Mm -hmm. Literally a product of, you know, his environment and just sucks that he didn't see a better option than killing a bunch of people yeah and then last but not least the friends and relatives of the five murder victims testified about the impact of the murders on them which i just realized that in john's confession he never acknowledged the augustine murder remember augustine was the guy yeah augustine was the guy that died in that parking lot with his Mm -hmm. wife Mm -hmm. so Interesting. I don't know why he wouldn't admit to that, but he admitted to the other four. Maybe he forgot. Because at this point, <laughs> he's done a Maybe lot. he did so many more that they didn't catch him for that he's like, I don't know. I'm not going right. to tell you. You you tell me. <laughs> Period. Terrible. <laughs> so after deliberating, the jury found all four of the defendants guilty of murder. Ding, 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 ding. Period. The jury left the courtroom immediately after and issued only a written statement, which was the following. Quote, these defendants as children were either neglected, ignored, unloved, left out, and or severely abused in some of the worst ways imaginable. It was the manner in which these defendants were raised or lack of which formed the mindset for executing these tragic crimes. Consider what they may grow up to become. End quote. I forget these are young kids because I'm like, these are grown tail adults. Who are you talking about? But they are in their early 20s. I mean, at, at the time of the murders, Robin was like 26. Vince was 26. Um, what's that homeboy's name? Little shitbag. John. John was 21 and Eileen was 20. Wow. So yeah. the one who's committing or doing... The head ringer, Ling, is the, one of the ring, youngest ones. Ring leading, yeah. Yes, the ring yes. leader is one of the youngest ones. Yep, yep. And when the time, jury was trying to give like a bit of mercy by saying they, they were think of what they could become. They were, which was very nice of them. Yeah. When time came for sentencing, Robin and Eileen burst into tears after hearing that John Lewis would be sentenced to death. Like, but the, that was the conviction. Correct, yes. But they stopped crying when they heard that they would be sentenced to life without parole. <laughs> <laughs> Full of they crap. Were, they were probably crying like, oh my God, he got sentenced to death. We're going to be sentenced to death. That's probably why they were crying. Mm. Phony ass hoes. <laughs> I was about to say, don't act like you really ga- gave a crap about him. <laughs> Let's be real. Vincent's attorneys used his chronic drug abuse and his low IQ as reasons for him to escape the death penalty because... His ability to think clearly and act independently was impaired. Like, it's not even that his IQ was 80 and that's why it was impaired. It's because of the chronic drug use. So for you to even use drug use as something that is an extenuating circumstance for a killer, that pisses me the fuck off. Because drug use is a choice. Addiction may not be, but using drugs is definitely a choice. Yeah, I don't know. 
I feel like the head, the, the ring leader deserves the worst punishment, period. I agree. They were all culpable, though, because they all participated. Yes, but Vince did actually pull the trigger and multiple times. And yes, and kill someone. So I would definitely think that if anything, because um Eileen and Robin never actually touched somebody, never actually killed somebody, was just aware of it and acted as like getaway drivers and stuff like that. And helped tie people up. Yes, and helped tie people up. So they're very culpable, but to like pull the trigger and be the reason that someone is no longer breathing, I feel like he deserved the same punishment as john but he didn't get it i know what they're trying to do they're trying to say like john like manipulated him because of his low iq yeah yeah. which does happen yeah so i don't know either way they're convicted either way they're convicted either way vince is spending the rest of his life the rest of his life mental issues are not you're going to jail john showed little reaction when he found out that he was going to be put to death but then he turned to his sister and said, quote, I'm glad you didn't get death. It's all right. Don't worry about me. Mm, wow. Yeah, he had no care in the world. And literally he doesn't that. Seem like he had one care in the world. He said he wasn't afraid of death and he has nothing to live for. Right. One of the investigating officers said, quote, if anybody deserved to pay the death penalty, all four of them did. Mm. They loved committing the crimes. You could see it in their faces when we arrested them. They were callous, cold, heartless people. Wow. Which I agree. I, I I do agree. From that clip that I saw, I was like, these people, it's just like they're going to traffic court. Like, they don't give a fuck. Loretta Sams, the wife of murder victim, Willie, said she was infuriated by the decision. She said, quote, the message is you can go out and murder innocent people because you had a bad childhood or you're ill. That's what this is telling kids. End quote. Wow. Hey. Well, I get where she's coming from, but remember, girl, they all got convicted to life in prison. So if you want to do these things, the message is to the kids, you will be in prison for life. But but she feels like they were they were they avoided the death penalty because of what happened to them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and for some people, it's like, yeah, we did this. But hey, we still kind of get away with it because we're still going to be alive. She wants them to have a harsher punishment, period. She wants them. To have the death penalty, for period. Sure. And I, I, I understand get. that. Because yeah. honestly, you, you're killing more than one person. Like, you're going yeah. on a killing spree. Like, you're killing multiple people. Come on now. Yeah, and then I you're also destroying lives. Like, the families of those people are fucking destroyed. Willie's daughter got married that day that he was killed. Like, come on. And then he's found in a dumpster. Like, <sighs> that hurts. That hurts. That hurts to the core. I'm actually getting really mad. I'm going to try to bring it down. They all are currently locked the fuck up. Thank the Lord. With John Lewis being the only one on death row in Cali. So in other news, Bridget, remember we mentioned Bridget earlier in the case. She is one of John's older sisters. She was found dead on the street from a drug overdose a few months before his trial, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, she may have had her own place, but she was struggling too. Right. People really go through it in this life. Yeah, they really do. And the moral of the story is, if you go through some stuff that you couldn't like prevent, you had no control over, do the work to get better. Yes. We all have to do work in our lives to overcome some stuff we've been through. Mm -hmm. Yes, it wasn't your fault, but do the work to not become the victim and then create other victims. Other victims. Absolutely. Don't be a part of the problem that you, that traumatized you and, you know, 
tore you up in the first place. Be a part of the solution. Absolutely. So someone that actually used to know Eileen and John when they were younger posted a little about their experience with the two, saying that John was in a gang at a very young age and already super violent. They said that their sister used to date John and that he'd raped her once before and shot her in the leg with a BB gun. But when the police came, she lied so he wouldn't get in trouble. Ugh, the things we do for people that don't fucking deserve it, child. (laughs) Lord. Well, Eileen wrote this person a letter. I think it was to the person or maybe just to like the universe. I don't really know. It wasn't really directed at anyone, but I'm going to include it on the screen so you guys can read it word for word if you want. And if you're on Patreon at any level, you can see it. She appears to show genuine remorse for what she's done and wanted her letters to help any young girls in the world that were feeling the way she felt, you know, back when she made those terrible decisions and just prays that her story can help save at least, you know, some lives, Hmm. which is a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, if anything, that'd be a little bit of evidence of why it was maybe the right decision to give her life instead of death row. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because she, she shows that maybe some people are able to be rehabilitated and right. really give a fuck about doing better, you know, out in the world. Right. When you so. take them away from the association that was yeah. causing them to do what they were doing, maybe they end up rehabilitating. Right. I also saw that there was some information from someone that was in contact with Robin. And Robin apparently did show remorse as well, but it wasn't to the extent of Eileen. Eileen was like, you know, I'm so remorseful that I feel like I have to be proactive and do something to counteract the terrible things that I did. Or as with Robin, it's kind of just like, oh, I take responsibility for what I'm doing. and I'm just trying to not do something like that again type of thing. you're in jail bitch do we take it (laughs) (laughs) i personally don't accept her apology i accept eileen's Uh, not for me to accept i was gonna say like it's 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 really not but we can understand her pain yeah as well especially if she genuinely feels terrible for what she did and being so broken and coming from such a broken home and just wanting somebody to give a fuck about her you know and thinking that john did and it's like this is all I have. So I will do whatever I have to keep it. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Yeah. So Robin, I understand a little less because it's like Robin tried to do better. Right. And mm-hmm. I applauded her for that. But then she went down the same path and yeah. it's kind of like, I get it. Like you go down the same path that you were exposed to before, but then you just derailed and <laughs> let that take you to a very dark place. And at this yeah. point, yes, you belong in the jail, if not mm-hmm. under it. Period. Period, 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 period. Well, that's our case for this week. Thank God. Like, that was horrible. (laughs) Why do you feel like it was a light year long? Because it was, if we're being honest. (laughs) It was. And why did it feel so traumatic? It was very traumatic. I think think the details were more so the worst part. I mean, I put this next to the brothers. You remember the brothers that went on that killing spree? The car brothers? The sure that took the people to that field that soccer field and shot <gasps> no, them like that no 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 yeah that was horrible i felt like the really, kfc murders yes i felt like i felt listening to those like yeah really like this is hard and i think the point of us giving these stories out is to raise awareness yeah but to also show you like to have some compassion about things like this that happen yeah, yeah there are stories when we tell them but that was real life for somebody 
Oh, for sure. Somebody's still living that hell every day. And to know? feel that should humble you. Yeah. And definitely and humbles make me. you grateful. Definitely make, I was say, definitely makes me feel super grateful for my safety and my health and everything like that. Guys, please remember, please be safe. Protect your peace. And protect, protect your, your space. space. So we don't Bye. have to cover your case. Oh, one day. Oops. Well, hey, it's the truth. Okay. But the fact that it rhymed, though. Well, hey, I might keep saying it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Comment below. What do you think? <laughs> Love you guys so much. Bye bye. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.